hello, hello. Welcome to the Autism 360 podcast, The 360 Method, a weekly podcast where we talk about everything Autism 360. Each week we catch you up with what's going on in the program, we chat with team members and very special guests, and we talk all things mindset as well as exploring relevant ideas that autism parents think about. This week we're talking about dietetics and nutrition with my wonderful guest, Melanie Lewis. It's so lovely to have you, Mel. Thanks for having me, Ella. I'm really grateful for this opportunity and to talk to all of your members in the program. Yay. So Melanie hails from sunny Brisbane, Australia, um, and has been working as a dietitian for over 10 years. Amazing amounts of experience for us to draw on. Melanie is a pediatric specialist and specifically works in the area of um, autism management and dietetic support. Yay. So excited to um, jump into that chat today. I am your host, Ella Bailey. I'm an Autism 360 veteran coach and explorer of all things parenting support. Before becoming an Autism 360 team member, I worked in psychological research and behavioral psychology, just so you know a little bit about me. But welcome to you, our lovely listeners. You are why we do what we do. We are, you know, you are why Mel does what she does. So please um, send us your feedback. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We've got some uh, wonderful questions from parents um, uh, coming up later in the podcast. So if you've got a question for Mel, maybe we'll have to snag her again and grab her um, back on the podcast. Um, if you uh, are interested, please do drop us a line at hello at autism360.com. We would love to hear from you. So before we get started, um, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on whose land I live and work and from where this podcast is being broadcast today. And also just make the disclaimer that this podcast and especially uh, Mel's dietetic advice does not substitute um, for individualized medical or allied health support. If you are concerned about yourself or about a loved one, please do seek help from a professional. So now we get to chat, Mel. Hooray. <laughs> I would love to hear just a bit about you, you know, how did you become interested in working with autistic kids and their families? Let's let's hear the story. Yeah, so I, I actually graduated as a dietitian way back in 2008, mm-hmm. two years before I then trained as a pediatric dietitian. Mm-hmm. And when I started working as a pediatric dietitian, I started getting all of these referrals um, for children who were picky eaters and fussy eaters. And when I started um, doing the assessment and working with these families, I realized that the pickiness and the fussy eating behaviors went far beyond that typical fussy eating that we see. And often it was going into very restricted dietary patterns and problem eating patterns that we do see um, with children who are autistic. And I realized at that time that I just, I wasn't skilled enough to be working with these families. So then I went out and um, I seeked a lot of different training, one of them being the SOS approach to feeding. And from doing that training, I was actually able to get a job in Melbourne um, in a multidisciplinary feeding clinic 
where I worked with um, an occupational therapist and a speech pathologist. We also had a pediatrician and a psychologist that we could lean on to when needed. But it was really working in that aiding clinic um, that helped me to really understand the challenges of these children and their families and working along with some of the best OTs and speeches in the business really helped me to become a better dietitian um, so that I'm at a point now where I can really hopefully give um, families and parents um, some really useful advice to help the child learn to expand their dietary intake. So it's been a journey, um, you know, way back um, starting in 2012, where I started in the feeding clinic. Um, and from there, my passion grew and grew and grew. And um, I love it. It's it can be really challenging um, because it's heart wrenching some days, but it's um, a beautiful area of dietetics to be working in and I would not change it at all. Yeah, that's amazing. And so is that um, a, a clinic that is still running in Melbourne? They're still um, operating as a feeding clinic down there? Um, all government funded organisation. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and at that time was services um, mm -hmm. that were taken over by um, Western Health. And I'm pretty sure they're still running, but not in the same capacity as it was when I was there. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And I mean, what do you notice as kind of the most common challenges, the, the ones that you would see in the day-to-day -day in the clinic and now day-to-day -day in your specialist? Yeah. So I was, I've been thinking about this question because it's actually quite um, a loaded question. Oh, interesting. Okay. When, when you think about what are the challenges as well, mm. I guess from, if I think of it from a dietetic point of view, I guess the mm. challenge up, you know these children not being able to meet the nutrient requirements um, because of very restricted dietary intake you know based on those sensory sensitivities that we see or you know gross and fine motor skills which can impact on their ability to self-feed on the oral motor skills so when we see these kids going to that very restricted white diet which is mm -hmm. a soft diet and a diet but yep. however out on core nutrients so iron protein sometimes calcium sometimes vitamin a vitamin c b12 mm -hmm. um, that's what that's one of the biggest challenges because if a child is not well nourished um, it's going to impact them on in many different areas development behaviors energy levels um, we can see constipation obviously nutrient deficiencies and then obviously the other challenges associated with restricted eating is the stress that it causes upon family meal times, um, social outings, what to put in a child's school lunchbox and all that um, parental anxiety and, and stress that we see when a child's only eating 10, maybe less number of foods. Mm -hmm. So I think it all starts first with a lack of proper nutrition, um, which then impacts on, on everything else. And of course that fear of trying foods is a huge challenge for these kids yeah yeah absolutely that white diet I've seen obviously I'm not a dietitian I, I don't really know what I'm looking at but I do see that as something that is a bit of a pattern like our safe foods are really our starchy carbs our our pasta we love a plain pasta over here in the autism world don't we exactly and it, all, it really does not all of it, but a lot of that eating comes down to the sensory components. So we 
prefer those white um, deconstructed foods, so plain mm. without the meat sauce, um, chippies, white bread, maybe some vanilla yogurt. And all of these foods are very uh, predictable in the way that they look, in the way that they taste, in the way that they smell. And they're usually very easy to chew and swallow, which can be a sensory element and it can also be an oral motor delay. And these kids just mm. prefer softer textures because um, foods like steak or mixed textures can be quite complex and difficult to manage if you're still learning to have a proper coordination with your tongue and your chewing for example yeah that's so interesting I mean just kind of a ballpark guess do you think that sort of half of, of the autistic kiddos that you see have sensory as their main eating struggle or, or is it less than that more than that I would say more. Yeah, I would say okay. 90% of children I work with have issues as their main reason for not being able to eat a variety of foods. Yeah. And, you know, that sensory issue is a very real psychological um, event that's happening within the body. And we know that it then results in that fear. That's that fear. Yeah see associated with trying foods and, and why kitties can cry at meal times they can gag and they've been asked to try a food or even when they have to lick it sometimes we see vomiting when it's quite extreme you know yeah. kids all day without eating because the thought of eating that food is too overwhelming it's too hard and it's certainly about that little one being naughty it's a real response that is happening in in the brain causing a block to put that food in their mouth yeah, 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 absolutely right. And I guess from um, a psychological perspective, you know, that experience of that sensory um, event is as real as any other experience that we have in the world, including, you know, everything we see, everything we touch, everything we, everything else that we process. So, I mean, when, when things are so complex, you know, when there's so many different things that go into what a kid can or cannot um engage with kind of food wise and and from a dietetic perspective what do you feel is the thing that families should prioritize when it comes to eating and their autistic kiddo yeah so again again a great question um also a loaded question yeah um, <laughs> focus on isn't there but I think for me in in practice I think the most important thing um, when I do my dietetic assessment um, is really to try and understand why eating is so challenging for this particular child okay child is different um, and yes we say sensory but what is it? it it might be just the smell of food it might be the look of food that's why when we do an assessment it's really important to try and unpack it all mm -hmm. and when I talk about that I mean really trying to help parents to understand why eating is so hard they know it's hard mm -hmm. but really help parents understand the the nitty-gritty of the difficulties and the challenges because then that helps parents move forward with the strategies that we're going to talk about so for example we know that a little is not going to move from eating um chicken nuggets to a steak that might be a too hard task or too hard for us to ask that child to do so that's why we start by like first understand where your child is at in the feeding continuum what it is about the food that is easy for them to eat what it is about the food that's hard for them to eat and let's start from where your child is at and create realistic strategies to help your child learn to introduce new foods into their diet and we do that in a very step-by-step -step approach so you know um, parents are 
um, properly understand their parents feeding their child's feeding difficulties then I think the next priority to work on um, is trying to establish family meals because you know feeding is so hard for these families sometimes it's easier to have meals at different times of the day sometimes kids are more comfortable eating dinner in their room in front of the tv or with an ipad on so sometimes establishing family family meals is actually a really hard ask for families so again we would just set the ball really low the goal really low and we would say let's just start with achieving one family meal a week um, and it's not about your child eating family meals at this point we're going to start with just having safe foods on their dinner plate because our goal is is to help your child come to the dinner table without them feeling stressed or anxious about what they're going to be served and what we're going to ask them to try and then from there, once we've created what we call a safe family meal time, um, then we can start to introduce new foods. And then when we talk about introducing new foods, the next thing I like parents to focus on is the 32 steps, which tells us that a child learns to eat a new food in a very step-by-step -step approach with that last step being eating or putting that food in their mouth, if that makes sense. So the first That's a lot of steps. Wow. 32. Okay. I've learned to tolerate yeah. and touch that food. And it might be simple as putting one piece of the family meal on the plate. Mm -hmm. If it's tolerated on the plate, then we would pop it on the learning plate, which mm -hmm. is no pressure for the child to eat. And the learning plate is just a bread and butter plate where a piece of carrot might go on and the child is first just expected to tolerate it. Mm -hmm. Move on. So they're the three most important things, helping parents understand why eating is so difficult for their child, establishing family meals, and then starting with the 32 steps and just starting with helping your child to tolerate and, and touch foods before we even move on to eating a food. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, do, do you find that most parents really don't have a great understanding of why it's tricky for their kiddo to to tolerate new foods? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And when we really break it down, when we really talk about the sensory properties of food and yep. why it is easier for your child to eat and why that food is harder, and when mm -hmm. we talk about like deconstructed meals, it tends to really be a little bit of a light bulb moment for parents. Mm. Why it's easier for them to eat any type of junk food, but it's hard for them to eat home-cooked meals. So, yeah, I do find that... Or, you know, parents know that their children have sensory issues, but how, how that really impacts on their ability to try new foods or eat a variety of foods is not fully understood. And that's our job to explain it to them. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, why would somebody know that, I guess, and, until it became a problem, right? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I remember you mentioning in the um, webinar that we did together not long ago the importance of eliminating grazing during the day. You, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was probably my other uh, priority area for families to focus on. Um, eliminating grazing is really important because we actually um, need kids to understand that we eat at set times of the day. Um, one that helps them um, to build an appetite for a main meal. Children, one, of the area, one of the things we talk about with children learning to eat foods or family meals is that they do actually have an appetite. They do actually have to feel a little bit hungry. Um, but we also know that when grazing occurs, 
because children can often fill up on party foods or foods that we call sometimes foods, um, which provides their body with no nutrient value um, and it displaces everyday foods that they might be able to eat it displaces you know a fruit for example that they might be able to eat displaces a tub of yogurt that they might be able to eat so we want families to teach their children that it's important to eat breakfast morning tea lunch afternoon tea dinner and possibly a supper food which might be a glass of milk a tub of yogurt for example mm -hmm. and we just focus on the child's strengths so some of those everyday mm -hmm. They can eat of mm -hmm. course keep in mind that their diet will have some sometimes foods and and that's okay for us when we're um, learning to explore a range of new foods and learning how to improve our um our nutritional intake yeah interesting i guess um you know dietetics is something that is maybe um I suppose, traditionally on the periphery, maybe of, of autism, traditional autism care, you know, we've got our, our typical tick boxes, our speeches and our OTs, but, you know, what do you think the, or what do you hope the future um, is of dietetics in autism support? I personally am excited about it, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. You're right. Dietetics is not often considered as part of a child's care. Um, and I think for the future, I would like to see more of the NDIS funding go towards supporting dietetics as part mm -hmm. of a child's plan. I'd also like to see some doctors, not all doctors, but some doctors understand the importance of dietetics mm -hmm. um, because we all know that we need to get nutrition right um yes we need to teach a child how to um, um you know toilet train for example and improve their speech and communication skills but dietetics is equally as important because without the nutrition yeah. that underlies everything we can't make as big a progress in other areas as we'd like to and i'd also like to see more multidisciplinary feeding clinics in the world um, that would be great ot's speeches dietitians um, we're an important team to have together we need each other to support each other um, and then also I'd love to see more dietitians I guess show an interest um, in supporting um, autistic children and doing some further training because it is it is challenging for dietitians um, we're not specifically trained in this area and we do have to go out there and, and see further training and if you can uh, work alongside an OT and or a speech who also specializes in feeding difficulties um, with children yeah yeah absolutely well we certainly love um having your expertise here in the program um and you know getting that specialist input is so important especially when you know as other clinicians it's really important to recognize like it's great to ask for that multidisciplinary support you know why wouldn't you when you've got an expert and I always you know I'm a little bit of a neuroscience nerd and it's so obvious the importance between of the overlap right between nutrition and neuroscience because obviously you are what you eat right your brain can't function if it doesn't have the building blocks that it needs um, to do that thing you get that through eating and we've got a um, a really interesting Question here from one of our listeners, um, Cece from Singapore, who says, uh, my child will, will eat anything I feed her myself. She will accept anything. However, when I place foods she usually eats in front of her to self-feed, she does not and becomes very distressed. She's four years old and has ASD level two. Any suggestions? And so I thought, perfect. This is perfect. <laughs> Mel will know. I'll ask Mel. Yes. 
question and thanks CC for sending it through. Um, it's a complex question. Um, and I guess for me as a clinician, before I would um, offer up any recommendations, there are many questions that I would ask as part of an assessment. So, you know, some of those questions that I'd like to understand is a little bit more about CC's um, daughter's sensory experiences. You know, does she get upset with, you know, mess on her hands and her face? Um, because that might impact on her ability um, to self-feed or not. Um, what is her ability to use cutlery? Has she ever tried? What are her gross and fine motor skills? Because this all impacts on her ability to pick up cutlery or even use her hands for coordination. Um, when she's fed, is she fed with an iPad or a screen? Um, you know, does she have an oral motor delay? Has she ever has she ever fed herself single textured finger foods, for example, or is it just the main meal? So there are lots of questions that I would like to know um, before jumping in and um, providing um, some questions, but I'm um, sorry, some tips, but some tips that I could provide um, without meeting um, Cece's daughter is I guess it obviously feeding is really hard for this little one. You know, the fact that she probably goes on autopilot um, when mum is feeding her. And when we say autopilot, it means her sensory system is shut down a little bit um, and she just lets mum feed her. And when mum's feeding her, mum's not going to make a mess. Mum's going to get it straight in her mouth. Um, so she doesn't have to worry, one, about coordination, and two, she doesn't have to worry about that sensory element that occurs when we do get food on our face and hands which can be very distressing and very overwhelming. So because it sounds quite complex, we would really start from um, the bottom of the feeding continuum and start with some very basic um, recommendations. So I guess the first recommendation we talk about is allowing Cece's daughter to um, explore food through messy food play, not even about feeding but just helping her to have a sensory exploration with the food that she usually eats, just in a small amount. Um, and we would get parents to join in with this as well. So just about running our fingers through it, um, looking at it, smelling it, just exploring it first. Um, the other thing we would talk about is that when um, Cece starts the feeding of the meal, we want her daughter to be able to have a spoon in her hand. So that just starts with the idea that we are moving towards um, self-feeding, but it does it in a way that's not so overwhelming. It's just there. She doesn't want to hold it. It's just next to her. Mum can explain this is your spoon. Um, when you're ready, you can start exploring, even if we just get her mixing the food with the cutlery and the spoon. The other thing we would want to try and focus on too is if she's not eating um, finger foods yet, we really need to focus on that first. So we do need to focus on things like, you know, maybe soft crackers, um, cubed fruits. Um, and if she's mastered finger foods, we then move over to a little bit more of a basic texture like a yogurt where we need to feed ourselves with a spoon, a nice thick yogurt that doesn't make too much mess. And then from there, once those self-feeding skills are um, improved with our fingers and hopefully feeding with the yogurt, we then move on to that, focusing more on that main meal. And we would explain, or hopefully mum would explain to her daughter that, okay, I'm just going to get you to feed yourself two mouthfuls and then I'm going to take over. Mm -hmm. So we just start off very small, just building her daughter's confidence up in scooping food, bringing it to her mouth. We start off with just two mouthfuls mum takes over the rest and you would that process for at least a week 
And then over time, we would build up the amount of spoons that her daughter is able to feed herself. And so that's where we'd start. And that's, you know, that's some recommendations that I would provide without meeting her. And with that as well, we'd also say, make sure there's a towel or tea towel there so that um, if her daughter does get messy and distressed, she can quickly wipe her hands and wipe her face. Because that can, like, the, the distress of making a mess or the fear of making a mess can be a huge barrier to these kids self-feeding as well. Wow, that is so super interesting. Thank you for that. I think, um, you know, there's there's so little un- understanding out there, even other, other professionals to sort of be like, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. I would just sort of, um, I don't know, yeah, refer, I guess. Yeah. That's sort of cool for parents um, because again it's like I don't know what to do where do I start I've tried this I've tried that it didn't work and yeah it's it's you know having a child with feeding difficulties is, is one of the hardest things parents have to have to manage and support yeah and I think um one of the you probably heard this a million times one of the things that sort of lay folks will um will give as advice is oh you know if they're hungry enough they'll eat it have you heard that a million times? Absolutely, yeah. And look, that that works certainly for, um, you know, what we say typically developing children, that does work. Um, but when you've got a little Lee who's got a severe fear of food, yeah. um, see that they will starve themselves in some situations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so tricky. It's just not the same. It's just not the same. Um, oh, thank you for coming in um, and chatting with me. It's been really, really interesting. And I hope that, we get some more questions and maybe we can snag another little um, minute of your time. It's been wonderful. Um, for anybody who is interested in checking out Mel's work, I'm going to leave links to her website and her referral process um, in the show notes so you can grab those. Um, thank you again for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. And um, yeah, I feel like today's really a, a snapshot of all the things that we could talk about in regards to nutrition and um, working with children um, that are experiencing extreme feeding difficulties. Yeah, there's lots to say. There's lots to say. So folks out there, if you want to get Mel back, you got to let us know. You got to tell us. She's a busy lady. Um, thank you for listening to the Autism 360 podcast, The 360 Method. Uh, we'll be back next week with another interesting topic that is relevant to autism and autism parenting. Um, until then, stay safe and think 360.